This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Marilette Lowe is one of the co-founders of Down to the Wire. Troy, Lily, and Marilette started this in 2019, and this is, this is something really cool. Uh, I think you're going to love it. I think you're going to love the story. Uh, Marilette's a really cool chick. She's working in the conservation field. And Down to the Wire is almost a side hustle that her, Troy, and Lily started on a kitchen floor in South Africa. It's a phenomenal little company, phenomenal story behind it. And just doing a yeoman's job in terms of putting back money to help wildlife through the sale of an item that came from an item that is designed to cause pain and suffering on wildlife. So, love this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Go check out downtothewire.org. If you have means, go in there, buy a couple of bracelets, buy a couple of earrings for your mom and your wife and your daughter, because it goes to a really, really good cause and the people behind it are salt of the earth. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a nonprofit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter.
So you look like you're in, are you in the bush, Marilette? Um, so I'm actually based in Zambia at the moment. So I'm out. You're in Zambia? Yeah, I'm in Zambia. Yeah, so yeah, a little bit in we the bush. We have very yeah. good friends in Zambia. Oh, yeah, Zambia is a fantastic country. Only good people come here. I'm telling you what, you are right. It is like, it's an un, unknown, friendly jewel of Africa. I've never been to Zambia. I Last November, we did a documentary series. We spent a couple of days in Zim, and then we went across the border into Livingston and then moved our way sort of through up to the top end of Kariba on the Zambian side. Yeah. We did a brilliant documentary that uh, we're just starting to work on in terms of the gradient of wildlife protection as a result based on hunting on islands in the top of Lake Kariba, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be really, really good. Um, but the people were so friendly and people were just like, there's hardly any crime here. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, people just like, they know. And, you know, going through downtown Lusaka, obviously there's a big security presence and people are like, you steal, you break into someone's car. They know people are coming yep. off them. Yeah, so Zambia is probably, I think it is the friendliest country, I would say, not just in Africa, across. Um, it's just, if you look at how diverse the country is, it's 72 different languages and cultures, and they just kind of get along with each other. Um, I, I'm originally from South Africa, so I know what that setup is like compared to, to being in Zambia, and it's, it's miles different, just how nice and accommodating and, and just friendly the Zambians are in general. So, Murray Letlow, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Uh, I'm super humbled that you actually even know who we are and that you've listened to the podcast. Yeah, well, it's, you have some of the best people in conservation you've had, especially from the African outlook on conservation on the podcast, especially Ivan Carter. Um, he is someone I've looked up to for a long time, and I try not to miss any of his stuff when you do talk to him. Um, same with Howard Knott from Greater Kudaland. Um, it's just it's people who's made such a big difference. And Warren Rippon from, from um, the Eastern Cape as well. It's, it's all guys that I kind of look up to and, yeah, really look up to for a long time. So actually should say thanks. How do you know Howard? Um, because I worked in the Limpopo area. So I actually know his manager, um, Neil and Francois from the Pangolins, so it's kind of through that. Nice. That, yeah. Look at this little world coming together. Conservation is actually such a small world. I don't think we always realize it's, it's a big industry and it, it stretches worldwide. But once you start getting into it and meeting people, it's actually very small. Um, somewhere there's mm -hmm. a connection to someone and that's just another connection to someone else. Um, yeah, so very mm -hmm. small world, actually. Marilette, what are you doing in Zambia right now? Um, so I am in the conservation industry outside of, I've, I've been in the conservation industry for a long time, but I'm a, a conservation manager for a, a company up here in Zambia. So, um, down to the wire is something we do on, I do more part-time. Um, I was part of the founding group of it, but I'm not as hands-on as the rest of the team anymore because I'm pursuing other streams still within conservation and staying in a different different stream in the conservation area. No, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, did you, where did you grow up in South Africa? So schooling, varsity, Pretoria. Um, but we had a farm. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Takis, right? I, know, uh, I tried Takis and it just turned out I'm not the most academic person. So I went to <laughs> not academic at all. I think they got annoyed with me. I can't sit still. So I ended up going to Technicon, um, studied okay. game launch management, focusing on the utilization, Sweet. nature conservation. Um, but we had a small cattle farm outside of Marble or Grobestal in the Limpopo province. So always weekends, whenever we weren't in the city, had to be in Pretoria, any whatever excuse we had. We were on the farm, regularly go hunting. Um, every July we went culling on, on friends, cattle ranches. So grew up in the city, but I don't like actually announcing it that I'm from the city. So... <laughs> It may, uh, it may dent your re conservation reputation. Exactly, exactly. So I'd rather skip that first part of life and just go with what came afterwards. Well, funnily you say that, Marlette, do you, do you steer clear of hunting when talking about your conservation role? I tend to, yes, because of the line of work in conservation I do. It's, it's a lot of... Uh, hunting is a, a, a sensitive topic even among hunters it's, it's a very sensitive topic um there's you either why do you say that well so being in conservation people either say you shouldn't hunt at all but then you get hunters within the that I, we've had to do with that it would either say no trophy hunting or you should you shouldn't hunt because of x y and z reasons there's it, it's a little bit of a funny nuance that we've picked up this side regarding hunting. So I don't go out announcing I'm pro-hunting. Um, everything within reason, everything, if it follows the right regulations, follows the right rules, it's fine. But here it's a, a sensitive subject and the best of times. But so are you, are you suggesting that, so if, you, if it's legal and it's regulated, and the right operators are doing the right thing, you're pro-hunting. I'm pro-hunting because I, look at, I have a utilization background. I've looked, looked at the economics of wildlife. I've always been, I grew up hunting, so it's pretty much part of what life's been for me is, is hunting. But I don't disagree that there's wrong or rotten apples in the mix, which gives it a bad name. So because there's a couple of, because there's a couple of bad names within the industry that makes it worse for everyone else um, and that's the stigma that gets attached to it sometimes is that rotten rottenness and I try to stay away from it's that. So, it's so bad like in our industry it's unfortunate in hunting specifically and I, I guess it's just tied to the fact that there is animals being killed that a rotten apple is amplified so much through the industry. It, yeah, I don't think we realize and quite pay attention to how bad the, inf the effect is on a broader picture just beyond one or two bad incidences. Because, and that's where I'm very fortunate to have been able to work in the very private sector in South Africa and I moved to a mix between NGO, private sector, government sector in more Zambian side of Africa. It's two very different nuances between very, very private sector. And they, no one, it's not that no one cares. It's just, it doesn't have the same impact. The moment you start working with the NGO sector, you need to find mm. money to fund conservation. 
that rotten mm. stigma that goes with it makes it a lot more difficult. Um, and that impacts everything then from getting funding for game counts or looking at where there's a giraffe in a national park that got stuck in a snare and you need to treat it. If there's any stigma of there potentially being hunting involved, donors don't necessarily like to go into that and support that because they don't agree and they don't understand the hunting side as being sustainable, a sustainable utilization route. Yeah, when you just described, you know, two scenarios, the very, very, very private, very high end, who don't give a shit really at the end of the day. But they're not, they're not, they're not fighting for money. NGOs are fighting for money. And anything that will detract a donor base is seen as the worst thing in the world. Um, so very well sidestepped in terms of telling me who you work for uh, in the beginning. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about uh, the reason we have you on, because I love the fact that um, we get connected to various organizations and brands and businesses um, just because of selfness, selflessness of people. And so we've been on, um, I don't know, the last three or four months I've had this thing about snares. Like I've, I've been gathering a lot of information and a lot of data from snares. We have uh, probably, I've got a WhatsApp group of about 75 operators throughout the you know, Southern African region, including Tanzania, that send us information about what's happening on the ground day in and day out. And I had this like spate of two or three weeks, and it was it was almost like the beginning of everyone going back into their areas and resetting up areas and whatnot. And they were just like, here are all the snares, here are all the snares, here are all the snares that we just pulled. And we did an infographic of like, how many snares did you guys pull in a week? And nine operators over four different countries pulled, I'm going to mess up the number because I'm not looking at my Instagram, um, and I'll try and do that as I'm thinking. But the number was quite impressive. It was like, I don't know, 400 snares or a thousand, here we go, a thousand, it, was not, it wasn't that large. It was about 300 snares, okay? It doesn't sound like a lot. Nine areas, four countries in one week. So if you take the assumption that a snare will take three animals before it's unusable anymore, it breaks, right? That was, we calculated about 1,200 animals that got saved in that week. But what if you multiplied it by the actual number of operators that actually worked across that area could be 10,000 yep. snares. Yep. Right? Yep. In one week. Yep. No. And so we, we posted about that and somebody goes, hey, you must check out this company called Down to the Wire. They're pretty awesome. They're pretty amazing. <laughs> I was like, oh, who the hell are these guys? Well, here we are. Yeah, so yeah, here we are. Um, I can maybe just start by saying we started Down to the Wire early 2019. So I think our timing... Why did you start it? So myself and the other founders, we grew up with wildlife. Who are the other founders? So Troy Otto and Lily Otto, brother and sister combo. Okay. They're originally from Zimbabwe as well. We met through work. Okay. Uh, we managed a, a re reserve together, Troy and I. Um, 
And we've had experience with poaching from lion, rhino, ivory, day-to-day -day subsistence, snaring poaching, dog poaching. So that is a reality being a reserve ranch manager. Anything to do with the hands-on work, you deal with poaching just in various degrees and levels of it. And it got to such a point where everyone cares and everyone knows about the plea for ivory poaching and rhino horn and to a degree now lion bones and lion claws and pangolin scales. So these are very charismatic species that get attention when you mention poaching. Everyone immediately thinks poaching, oh, rhino got killed or oh, yeah. that's what everyone thinks of. But the reality for us on the ground was yeah, we had rhino poaching and yeah, we had to deal with lion poaching as well. But the day-to-day -day vast majority of illegal hunting was snaring. and Snaring anything. Anything. Because the snare is put up and the snare doesn't decide what it takes. So you might set up a snare to catch birds, but it'll still catch, have a bycatch of a diker. The diker might break three, free, the snare still stays on the leg or wherever it catches it. And eventually it'll probably die from secondary infections. It loses a limb, it still dies. So the bycatch of a snare is so much worse than killing something for its horn because it's one loss you have. It's one loss of killing a pig with a bunch of dogs and spears. Um, that bycatch and effect rate on a snare is so much worse. Up to 90% of snares, they, they don't use what is caught in a lot of snares. It either doesn't get found in time, it's get, it just gets left, or the animal breaks free and it gets secondary infections and then dies from that. So that is something we had to deal with a lot. The amount of water buck and zebra we got with snare wounds and infections, mostly, and again, as a private reserve owner, ranch owner, what do you do? You shoot it because there's nothing else. It's either so badly infected, the cost it's going to cost to fix it and to help save this animal is too much. You don't get it in time, so it's gone past what you can do. And it's, it's again, it's not a charismatic species like an elephant or like a lion. So <laughs> we're looking at cost, what, 4,000 rand to dart a zebra, treat it, let it go. That's what it costs to buy a zebra, roughly. That's what the hunting costs. Yeah, so yeah. it's that, yeah, that yeah. way up of what is the value, but it's not. So that's how it kind of started. And then we, it's not the plains game fault. It's not the specific species fault that it gets stuck in a snare. It's still us as management that needs to decide, are we going to act on it? Regardless of how strong your anti-poaching is, if there's, like you say, some places pull 80 snares in a day. If you just, it's, it's not, it's us as conservationists and, and ranch owners, landowners to do whatever we can to still protect and look after, regardless of it being a charismatic species or not. Um, so that's kind of because we were faced with this on a day-to-day -day basis and it got to such a point of we're getting tired of having to cull wildlife because they lost a leg or they dying from dehydration. We had a, a water buck that got entangled in a snare and he went into one of the dams and he was just so dehydrated that he couldn't do it. He died in the dam eventually. He was just so dehydrated. Again, it's not, it shouldn't have to happen um, and end in that way. So everyone, there's a whole bunch of anti-poaching teams 
There's a lot of people doing really good work with removing snares, putting all of their time and effort and resources into that. So instead of us trying to now fill, just be another, just another organization doing something with that where a lot of other people are doing a way better job than what we could in such a short time getting into it. We tried to find something that could bring a little bit of hope and just turn something that has a really bad destructive connection into something that can make a positive contribution in a different way. So instead of having to cull something, and I'm sure you've seen it on our Instagram, the amount of lines and really bad cases of snaring that got saved because we had this fund available from the jewelry we make from snares that gets removed. Um, so, yeah. You decided, okay, Troy, Lily, Marilette, okay, we're going to build this thing. We've got all these snares. We've got all this wire. Any of you jewelry makers? Not at all. So this is actually the amount of times we would spend at night on our kitchen floor figuring out how we're doing this. It's the amount of school fees we paid and making a bangle and it didn't work and it broke or it rusted or it just was too hard. We couldn't bend it the way. We have no jewelry making background at all. We're conservationists. Um, we know how to put up a fence. We can change tires. We can catch sable. And that is the type of stuff we hands-on know how to do and what to do. But jewelry making so far out of our comfort zone and trade zones, it was 100% just a, we want to make this work. We have to make we're going to make it work kind of mentality and just we're paying the school fees as we go and trial and error until it works. But nights on the kitchen floor, fingers raw from scraping and bending and twisting and figuring it out. Um, it's, yeah, it was a long process. So what have you guys, so what is the model now? You guys build, you've got a line of jewelry that comes from snares where do the snares come from? Are they coming from the property still that you started on or are they just coming from everywhere? Do you have jewelry that is region specific? Like what, what's going on there? So how it works is a lot of being in conservation, being a ranch owner usually, you have connections with your neighbors, with other anti-poaching units. So most of our snares all get donated or the snares we use gets donated to us by anti-poaching units within our direct area, being in the low felt. But from across South Africa, people have shipped and shipped boxes full of snares to us um, to then create into, into the product. So we only started with one product and it worked kind of nicely. So we tried a second and a third and a fourth. So it's kind of expanded. And it depends on the different type of materials the guys use for snaring. Okay. Um, no, because so you have what, copper wire and you have like normal fence wire and that kind of exactly, stuff, right? and cable. And that's usually the first thing a lot of people would ask is, but this is copper wire. Snares aren't made from copper wire. Oh, hell yeah. They strip the freaking telephone wires exactly, all up and down the freaking highway. Exactly, because that is the easiest thing to find is old telephone wires. So oh. that is why we started with copper because that is majority of what we pulled out was copper wire and what gets donated to us is because it's copper wire or it's actually it's the steel plated in copper um so that's why we started with that so people donate whatever and anti-poaching units and private reserves a lot of them donate what they have to us um 
because we start and through that we build up a working relationship in terms of um, them sending volunteers and edu doing educational side of conservation, well, environmental education as well. Um, yeah. So, so today you guys are three years old, right? Four years old. Three, three, three and a half years old. Uh, four years. We should be four and a half. It's 2019. I think it was January we started. It was our are, first. Are, are Troy and Lily doing it full time? Yes. Yeah. So they're doing it full time. It's keeping them full time, full blast busy between creating products, doing educational awareness, doing workshops with international clients, volunteers, lodges. Um, yeah. So that's keeping them full time. So you guys have gotten the product into various places that people are buying it and the essentially give me the idea of the model that allows you then to is not down to the wire a non-profit is it a charity in South Africa So it's not registered as a non-profit but we are a non-profit we don't Okay keep we don't make we actually don't make much profit out of it so we Okay so we get a snare, we recreate it into a piece of jewelry, that piece of jewelry gets sold. Okay. The, prof, the profit that comes from the piece of jewelry, apart from paying our jewelry makers, which has now grown from the three of us not being on a kitchen floor anymore, we now actually have a team of people, locals we employ that make the jewelry. And the where are you, where is that based? In Hoodsprite. Hoodsprite, okay. Yeah, based in Hoodsprite. Um, workshop going and everything there. So. Most of the, the guys around Hood Spread know where find the workshop. They, we do um, workshop mornings where you can come and create your own piece of jewelry oh, from a sweet. snare. There's a story that goes with it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so awesome. It's, it's, I'm sure there's taken, a huge ecotourism market. Like there must be a bunch of people pumping through there. They want to, you've got a storefront and come yeah. in, people can buy stuff. And as you say, 100%. they can build their own thing if they want. Exactly. And from that, we kind of have this, you create a piece of a jewelry, a, a statement item, and you can leave a note with it. So it's kind of like the, like the geocaching where oh. you can find this. So you can create an item, you leave it in the box with a little note where you're from or whatever, and the next person can come and create. If you put it in the box, you can take an item from the box. It's kind of sharing as well across. across That's them. pretty cool. In the yeah, shop so itself. In the shop itself. Yeah, we only do it in, in the shop it, itself. Um, yeah, so then a product is sold, those funds is obviously kept, and we work with a whole bunch of veterinarians in the low-fat area, but not only in the low-fat, we've got vets in KZN, there's vets in Gauteng area we work with as well, so should they find a really bad case, or any case, of an animal either that's got a bad snare wound or just has a snare, they'll contact us and be like, listen, can you help us? And usually it's yay. We will put in what is the bill? How much do you need? What is the case? How bad is it? We'll help fund it. Um, so we have a really good working relationship with a whole bunch of vets, especially in the low felt when it comes to this. And there's a couple of organizations that's now started putting in money to either covering helicopter fees, covering veterinary fees, and a lot of the time, some of the cases we've seen needs not just one treatment, it's follow-up treatments. Sure, because sure. the snares are so bad. Um, where normally it's, especially in lions, where normally park or the reserve management would call, euthanize them actually because the injuries are so severe. Um, are the animals coming out of national parks or game reserves? Is that where's the most of the money going in terms of the animals that are being tended for? 
uh, not national parks because national parks have their own. So it's more based and more focused on private who can't afford to take care of, not, not take care, that's probably the wrong way of phrasing it, but who can't prioritize necessarily removing a snare from a zebra's neck and it's busy choking instead of just culling it or having it hunted. And um, so we don't say, oh, because you are only 50 hectares of private land with an impala with a snare on, we can't help you, but we'll help you as a 100,000 hectare reserve that's got a lion in a snare. There's no discrepancy between. That was the whole point of it because snares are such, they don't discriminate in what they kill and the bycatch. We wanted to try and move away from that and mitigate that by making funds available and having funds to to help on the front where it's non-specific. Um, if mm-hmm. the need is there and it's within our capacity to help and make a difference, that is what we want to do or want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much money do you think you would be spending on an annual basis? Oh, that's a ridiculous amount. If you look at what darting costs are, and we do, we've done helped with a couple of elephant, couple of lion, just the veterinary cost in the drugs that's needed to immobilize, it's a lot. And then if you're looking at follow-up treatments, it's, it's a lot. Um, I wouldn't say millions, but it's a significant amount on, on um, what goes back into it. Compared, relatively compared to the value of what you would say, oh, a zebra is worth hunting price, um, which you'd think, okay, well, it might be easier just to, to cull the zebra, use the meat and carry on with it. But mm. it, it, because it's a non-specific killer, we didn't want to go with that route and say we're not going to help whatever needs help. That makes sense. So you haven't really taken the approach, you've taken the approach of like you engage the vets. It's not like you have 10 properties or 15 properties to say, hey, we'll help you um, if we have funds available. Well, it's kind of like that through the vets. It's it's both ways. Yeah, it's both ways. Um, We've had a lot of people, private guys, contact us and be like, listen, we have this, our vet is willing to come out and dart it, but we can't cover the bowl, the vet bowl. Can you help us? Yes, we've got available. We can help you 100%. Um, So obviously... Our funding stream is, relies on how much we jewelry we sell, which means how much snares we get means it, it's, it's a kind of a, a funny circle, but the more snares we get, the more jewelry we can make, the more funds we have available to, to help out. How much, how much, do you have an idea of how much money you guys put into removing snares from animals like in the last year? So let's just say 2022. I would say probably close to close to a million. Million rand? Yep. Yeah, that close was, to. That was the profit from the jewelry that went <laughs> that to went, that. No, yeah, I wouldn't say profit. That is what went to then. Yeah, the thing that missions. you just set yeah. aside, the percentage that you set aside. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that is roughly, I think, what our... our our reach and extent would have could have would have been in the last year. Wasn't the well, last year. Well, let's just I'm gonna because a lot of people obviously are in America and I'm trying to like, okay, how many uh, the rand dollar rates at the moment is fifty thousand. It's fifty thousand. Yeah. Fucking that's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. 
And again, it doesn't go to one specific person. It's not one specific place that benefits from it. It's a quite a big landscape across South Africa that we try and try and benefit mm-hmm. from this. Mm-hmm. So you're you're sending money, uh, you know, as far as wide as you possibly can. Yeah. Now, if there's someone that says, "Listen, I've got a small holding. There's a warthog on my front lawn that's got a snare stuck around its mouth. Can you help? We can't afford it. We've got the funds. We'll help." Mm-hmm. We try, mm-hmm. we aim and help. We, it's never going to go away. That's something we've pretty much had to accept. And I think snaring is always going to be there. Um, it's taken and it's evolved from a subsistence type of thing into quite a commercial thing as well. It's not going to, but it's there to stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, um, I'm, I'm super interested. I love the idea. I love the idea of the novelty of it. Um, yeah, and you guys are perfectly located in Hutzbrecht to, you know, yeah, I think people can see themselves in it, right? They can walk in, they can, again, you can make your own jewelry, customize it. Yeah, and it's got a story. Each piece has yeah, exactly. a story. It was either it was from, so what we've done for some places is we funded a snare removal. They gave us a snare and said, can you please make us one or two unique pieces that goes specifically with that. So then in a couple of cases, we made unique items. It was auctioned off and that funding was then put back into a follow-up treatment of whatever, if it was a lion or it kind of happens, especially with hyena, a whole clan tends to get affected by it. Um, so a lot of those instances, the money went back into, into the same pride or same clan where there was an initial problem with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I love the idea. I love, obviously, we're, we're huge storytellers, and uh, we love storytelling. Um, if someone is interested, do you guys ship to the U.S.? Or do you yes. ship around the world? We ship right around the world. We ship to the U.S. quite regularly. We ship to, we've even shipped to Australia before, um, China, Australia. Oh, I've mentioned Australia, South America, so... We cool. try and ship wherever we can. It we do sometimes because shipping is quite expensive. We try well, and constantly just trying to get <laughs> make sure it gets out of South Africa is another endeavor to itself. I yeah, sent a moment. Christmas card. We sent a Christmas card from our family to friends in South Africa, and we sent it obviously like December the first. Yeah, and it arrived March thirty first. Oh, that sounds accurate. Yeah, that sounds roughly with the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, we our courier services are really what we try and use. And that's right. That's right. DHL, the only way. But it's expensive. That's the thing. So it is, and because our products are relatively inexpensive compared to yeah. when you look at the shipping costs. Um, so we do try and encourage people from abroad that buy, don't just buy one item because you're going to sure. spend more on the shipping costs. Do a, a bigger batch. Um, so, but yeah, we do ship abroad. Yeah, we uh, have the same issue. We've got a hat right now that's for sale um, that people are like, oh, we're going to buy it in Australia. And the hat's 30 bucks and shipping is 60 you yeah. know, or yep. 80 And they're like, yeah. uh, no, we're not going to pay that. Yeah, this is not quite adding up. No, it doesn't add up at all, the shipping costs. But, the, but it is because it's a trusted career that we use. Sure. Um, so that's, that's always the problem. It's inexpensive, so... If it gets lost, it gets lost, but it's we do obviously don't want that. That's a struggle of, of living in Africa, I suppose. It's, it's right. not as quick and mainstream as getting things done in other places. 
That's right. That's right. Well, Marilet, if um, if people are interested in looking at what you do, checking out your stuff, like where's the best place for them to find it? So, and this is again because we started on our kitchen floor. Instagram was where we started marketing, selling was through Instagram. So it's down to the wire on Instagram. We've got a Facebook page, um, but again, Instagram's better to order. And then we do have a website as well, just down to the wire.com. Um, and you can order directly off the site. We've got everything on there. All our product ranges are on there. If you need to get a hold of us, it's on there. Um, if you're in South Africa and you want to get a hold of us to help with a snare problem or funding, Instagram and Facebook is the easiest way to get a hold of us we pretty much on it all the time and then we've got normal email as well that is amazing um it's a, it's as you said it's a funny world when you start digging or scratching in terms of the people that you know and um down to the wire is it a two like a number two yeah yeah number okay two. okay that's down that's two. important because i just typed in yeah, down us. to the wire and it did not yeah, take me Come no, on, Marilette, you've got to get this right, man. Come on. <laughs> one job, one job. <laughs> you just one had job one job be... and messed I that know. up. I'll be better at it next time. Okay. I have to focus on being better. Oh, I just typed in two and two. Oh, my gosh. I'm just, I'm dying here. I'm dying here. <laughs> um, Marilette, thank you so much for coming on. Um, as I said, I love it when people put us on really cool people doing really cool work. And I, I love the concept. I love the storytelling. You obviously are doing a yeoman's effort, you know, for being four years old, three and a half years old and putting 50K back into wildlife conservation, essentially, um, in addition to being able to pay people. It's pretty, pretty darn impressive. Um, so... Um, yeah, well, you have to try. There's everyone's doing their little pieces, so we try try and do what we can instead of just adding, saying, "Oh, it's a problem, it's a problem." So, all right, paying and our I'm school gonna... fees and trying to make a difference. When you say pay your school fees, are you saying that before? What do you mean, like your <laughs> university fees? No, 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 <laughs> no. School fees referring to starting a new venture like this or trying learning a new school learning a new trade and um, it's the school fees not literal school fees um in terms not of literal hours, school fees exactly not literal exactly. school fees yeah no those days are long gone it wouldn't go back to school if you pay me um no it's just the the effort and the time and what you put into figuring it out and making it work and finding the best ways to make make it successful um that type of school fees nice and I'll correct you one more time. It's down to the wire.org. Oh, not shit. down. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You're allowed to swear on the podcast. It's okay. Are you sure? Because I <laughs> yeah. actually hold that in. I'm usually, I'm usually very bad at it. I have to try it and uh, keep it together. It's too funny. Yeah, check it uh, out. I'm... Down to the wire.org. There's some amazing pieces on there. Uh, you've done a really good job of. The buffalo cuff looks amazing. I really like the trunk and tail bangle that you can tie. And uh, that um, is all that is all Troy's genius. He that's that's him. Any new product you see on there, that's all Troy's genius coming love out. It. And again, school fees, making it the n number of prototypes we go through before it actually works. Oh, I'm sure. And 
we wear it in field. So that's again, also, I'm usually the product tester. If I, if it doesn't break on me, it's not going to break. So um, <laughs> I actually think that's probably my actual role in the, in the partnership is product testing. Too funny. Too funny. Yeah. Marilet, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having it. It's, it's fantastic chatting to you. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.